Good morning. It's great to see you this morning. We okay? Did you like Waymaker? It's a great song. It's I, I like songs I can remember because you know I forget the word. I actually make up my own words all the time in songs. I just I can't remember, but that one I can remember just about. So um, and whilst I was in Rwanda, just singing that song, people you know people needed miracles and miracles were happening in the presence of God, and um, you know. I just like that song. I just it raised my faith level, my expectancy, you know, in God's presence, and I believe for miracles. God is a God of miracles, and some people in here need miracles, and that's why I chose to choose that song. Because whilst I was out there, I felt some people needed miracles, healing miracles, and I thought I'm going to bring it back with me and sing this song, you know. And if people don't get healed, they don't get healed. But I still believe in a God who heals. And a God of miracles. So we need to have some faith and expectancy for God to heal people. Amen? Okay, so this morning I'm, I'm speaking on serving like you've never served before and giving God your best. And the heart of this is, um, how, can I, how can I start this? Basically, you don't have to serve. Does that make sense? Can I say that? You don't have to serve. You have to choose to serve. Nobody can make you serve. Well, actually, they can make you serve. And as I was preparing this, I thought, there's kind of three basic, and there might be more, but I just thought of three basic types of service or, or being a servant. And the first one is, we kind of get, we can be forced to serve. That's a slave mentality. And sometimes we look around in the world, there's people that are being forced to do things that are not very nice. And we need to stand up for those people who don't have a voice. You know, when you look in the Bible, in the Old Testament, there was the Israelites were put into slavery and they were forced to serve. Okay? So there's that type of servant where you feel you're forced. We can force ourselves because we have wrong thinking. We think we've got to do this or we beat ourselves up and there's things in our minds that master us because we haven't got the right thinking. We don't think we're good enough. So we think we better serve. And actually... God doesn't force us to serve. Okay? So there's that type of serving where you are forced. It's slavery. Then there's another type where you have to. So there's some things you know you've got to do. So tomorrow, many of you will go to work. Or many of you will go to school. Or many of you will get up in the morning and you'll have to do some kind of service for somebody because you have to. Am I making sense? It's an employment. You have a responsibility to people or to a job. You have to get up tomorrow and go to... Well, you don't have to. You can choose not to. But you have some responsibility in this world where you have to do something. Making sense. So there's the force to, there's the have to, and then there's the want to. I want to. Do you see the difference? And from a biblical point of view, Jesus never forces us to serve. We actually don't have to serve. Jesus wants us to serve. Do you see the difference? I don't have to love my wife. I'm not forced to love my wife. There may be times in relationships where we feel we're being forced or we have a responsibility. But ultimately what you want, you want the heart to be right. I want to love my wife because I love her. And that's what I want to do. Do you see what I'm saying? So when we're talking about serving, we're not talking from a place of being forced to or have to. We're talking from a place of you want to. So the heart needs to be right first 
in order that we'll do the serving. If the heart isn't right, we'll do it out of obligation, duty, or being forced to slavery. And Jesus doesn't want that. He wants to set you free so you can do it out of desire. Okay? So if you ever feel you're being forced to, that's not our heart at all. Our heart is to get you more in love with Jesus and fulfill what Jesus wants you to do. So desire is the most important thing when we're looking at servant being a servant. You know, and I'm going to speak, look at three scriptures where Jesus having conversations about what it is to be a servant and what it is to be great. The disciples wanted greatness. And I think most of us like to become, if you're competitive like me, you like to be first. Does anybody like to be first? Two? Well, you're obviously more humble than me. And, you know, I just like to win. But actually in the kingdom, it's not always about winning. It's about putting others first. So let's read a couple of scriptures. In Luke 9, the first one, 46 to 48. It says, An argument started among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. I can just see my kids playing with the Lego in the morning, just falling out with who's having what and who's going to win and who's going to go first. It's, it's people, isn't it? An argument started with the, among the disciples as to which of them would be the greatest. Jesus, knowing their thoughts, took a little child and had him stand beside him. Then he said to them, whoever welcomes this child in my name welcomes me. And whoever welcomes me welcomes the one who sent me. For it is the one who is least among you all who is the greatest. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be great in my kingdom, then you're going to be the least we don't want to be the least, do we? Not if you're competitive like me and you want to win. It's sports day soon for some of the kids at school. Parents will go and you'll have the dad's race. Have you ever been in the dad's race, anybody? You'll watch the dad being, you know, doesn't matter what kind of day it is. Doesn't matter. All of a sudden, something comes up in the dad to win. It's like, how did that guy run so quick? He just wanted to win. But you know, in the kingdom of God, it's not always about winning. It's a bit of a paradox where it shifts around in God's kingdom. Second scripture, 10 Mark 10, 43 to 45. It says, not so, they're, they're having an argument again. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great, here's that greatness. If we're endeavoring to become a great church, here's the qualities that what, what Jesus is saying we need to do. Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servants. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. <laughs> So if you want to be first, if you want to be a leader, if you want to have responsibility in God's kingdom to help build the kingdom of God, then he says you're going to be a slave to all. In other words, what he's saying is you're going to have a great responsibility for people. He isn't saying you're going to be enslaved. He's saying if you go first in my kingdom, you're going to have a great responsibility for people because it's about people. So if you want to be first, you must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life for a, as a ransom for many. So Jesus came with ultimate responsibility of the whole world. And he gave his life for all the world. He took responsibility. He served us. He became the least in this world. He was scorned and shamed. He was beaten. He lowered himself from the highest down to the least. And God made him the greatest. How amazing is that? You see, when we read these scriptures, Jesus was being revolutionary in his time. Because there were many servants that were around in those days. We don't have as many servants around today. 
couple of hundred years ago, Victorian times, you had servants and servants went down the corridors that were not seen by the aristocracy. They were, they were not to be seen. Servanthood was a low kind of, in the, in, in, in the hierarchy of society, they were the lowest form. So when Jesus turns up in this society, he says this, you need to know who the greatest are, the greatest are the servants, the greatest are the least in my kingdom. So in God's kingdom, it's not about becoming the greatest, it's about becoming the least. And when we were the least as a servant, God says you're the greatest. And it's a bit of a mind shift because it's not how, what the world projects. The world projects us to be successful and to you know, have power and authority. But actually God says, if you have power and authority, I want you to use that power and authority to serve people. So... Let's read another scripture, Luke 22, 24 to 27. It says, A dispute also started among them, which of them was to be regarded as the greatest. Here we go again. So Jesus said to them, The kings of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in authority over them are called benefactors. So the people in authority and responsibility were benefiting from those beneath them. Not so with you. So he's teaching his disciples the principles of the kingdom. Not so with you. Instead, the one who is greatest among you must become the youngest and the leader like the one who serves. For who is greater? The one who is seated at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is seated at the table? But I... I'm among you as one who serves. Jesus is known as the king of kings. The Bible said he's seated in heaven and he gave up all of his, all of his, what's the word I'm looking for? Privileges. He gave it up and he came down to become the least. And Jesus is given an illustration of people sitting at the end, end of the table and everybody running around and serving the master at the table. But Jesus says, it's not like that in my kingdom. It's about actually us serving. It's about the king serving other people. And he flips the whole thing round and said, this is my kingdom. We're here to serve. Does anybody want to follow their king? He says, I am one who is among you. But I am one among you as one who serves. Does anybody want Jesus among you? Does anybody want Jesus among the church? Does anybody want to see Jesus as the body of Christ on earth? Because if Jesus isn't going to be among us, surely we've got to be one who serves. That makes sense. It's common sense to me. If Jesus, the kingdom of God, is coming to the church, then the church must be a body who serves. Because Jesus says, I am among you as one who serves. So if we want to see Jesus outworked in our lives, we've got to be like him. Not the one who's seated you know, with responsibility and power, but one who's prepared to lower themselves, become the least, and to serve people. Serve one another and serve the community. That's the call of Jesus on our lives. It's known as the master's master principle. That's a good phrase, that, isn't it? It's the master, our king, our lord, the one who we serve as set as a principle of life. This is how you live your life. And the life is to serve. I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. Is, has, here's a question. Has Jesus served you? 
Has Jesus Have you let Jesus serve you? Have you sat at the table and been welcomed in and allowed Jesus to serve you with his best? Have you received from Christ? Have you received his riches, the spiritual blessings that he offers to you, the forgiveness of sin? Have you sat and received the goodness of God into your life? Or are you still running around trying to achieve it? Because Jesus says, come to me and sit with me. And let me pour out my riches to you first. And then this is what it does. It, it propels you to go, wow, who can I serve? Because I've sat at the table and I've tasted the food from Christ. And where else can I go now? Who needs to eat of this food? Come and sit at the table. Come to the church. Come on. There's some food, spiritual food that you can have from Jesus. I can't give it to you, but Jesus can give it to you. Let me point you to Jesus. Let's just sit at the feet of Jesus and receive. You first let Jesus serve you. Jesus came to serve you first. Receive from Christ the goodness of God. If you don't first sit at the... You'll start to serve and run around and actually realize that the serving doesn't fix you. How many of us tried that? The rewards of serving doesn't actually fix you. What fixes you is Christ and the love of God. I, I, I don't run around, you know, trying to do jobs and things at home because I have to or I'm forced to. I do it because I first love Sarah and I've received Sarah in my life and Sarah's received me. She's my first love. So whatever she asks me to do, I'll do it because I love her. I'll try my best. I don't always get it right. We're human beings. Do you see what I'm saying? It's about the heart and some days I'll get it wrong. Some days I'll kick back a little bit and then after I've sat down and thought about it and humbled myself a little bit, actually, I need to put her first because I love her. And that's what we do with Jesus. We first, we serve because Jesus first loved us. Because he seated me in heavenly places. Because he forgave me and he gave me a new start. That's why we serve. Because of our first love. And if you're doing things out of I have to, or you're doing things because you're forced to, something's not quite right in your thinking. You've not sat at the table and received the fullness of God. Take a minute and meditate on his goodness before you run around trying to serve people. So are you with me? So if Jesus is among us as one who serves, surely it would be good to know what Jesus is like as a servant. So I'm going to look at some qualities, five qualities that I see in Jesus. Five qualities that God in heaven puts within Jesus Christ to model who we should follow. Are you ready for them? Isaiah 42. Jesus is our role model. If, if Jesus is going to be among us as one who serves, then we're going to have to take on the qualities of Christ as we serve. We don't always get it right. Isaiah 42 verse 1 says, Here is my servant whom I uphold. So Isaiah is a prophet speaking forward about the coming Christ. So Jesus is going to come not as a king but as a servant. He becomes a king but he first comes as a servant. So it says, Here is my servant whom I uphold. So these are the words of God through a prophet saying about who is to come. And there's one quality here that it speaks about that we almost first grasp and try our best to get. And it's dependence. It's dependence on God. God says, here is my servant in whom I hope old. 
So Jesus' dependence wasn't in himself. Jesus' dependence was in the Father in heaven. And when he ministers and does things, you hear him saying, I only do what I see the Father doing. He's not doing it on his own. So Jesus, the servant, right, isn't doing it in his own strength. He's doing it because he's dependent on the Father's will. Am I making sense? So as a believer, who are you dependent on? Who are you depending on tomorrow? Are you depending on the words of Christ tomorrow, or are you just depending in your own strength? And some days we depend on our own strength, okay? I'll, I'll go a week or whatever and think, actually, I've thought about God, but I haven't really brought him into my situation. But imagine a people that have a dependency on God. The provision of God, the promises of God, the goodness of God. It's not like he's a God sitting on a throne thinking, will you do this? No, he's come down to from heaven to earth so he can uphold you and strengthen you so he can equip you with his promises with his word and with his hope this is who he is Jesus it says it says of him this is my servant in whom I uphold imagine God upholding you on a Monday just imagine tomorrow God's upholding you you can go with a confidence and an assurance That no matter what happens, God has me in the palm of his hand. The God of heaven who created all things, the God who sent his son and resurrected him from the dead, has me as well. So tomorrow, he upholds me. That doesn't mean that we become arrogant or self-confident. No, because our dependency isn't in us. Our dependency is in him. So tomorrow you can go, even though things happen the way you want them to or don't happen the way you want them to. Guess what? He's sovereign. And he's on the throne and he wants to uphold you. So the first quality of a servant is dependence. We're not dependent on ourselves. We're dependent on someone else who's greater than us. And the disciples were speaking, asking for greatness. And greatness, Jesus says, it points to the least. Why the least? Because the least, God strengthens. The weak, God strengthens. The brokenhearted, God strengthens. The brokenhearted, God restores. So when we are weak, therefore, Paul says, we are strong. So rejoice in your weakness because then you have a dependency on God. That's the good news. And how many of us tomorrow will try and do things in our own strength and forget that we have a power from heaven available to us. But it takes some humility, it takes some brokenness, it takes some you know, authenticity to open up and be real and say, actually, I am broken, actually, I am weak, actually, I need to make myself vulnerable, actually, this is who I really am. And when we get to that place, God says, yeah, I know, boom, but look who I'm going to make you. Look what I want to do with you. I want to strengthen your feebleness, your weakness, your bruised, I want to heal it, I want to come in, I want to strengthen you. That's what God wants to do. But it takes a people that say, you know what? This is who I am. This is my brokenness. This is my humility. But the world wants to project us that we'll be successful and go on the successful ladder. Jesus says, no, 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 don't try that one. It will beat you up. Just simply come to me as you are. And in your weakness, I will strengthen you. Have a dependence on me. Philippians 2 says that he made himself nothing. Jesus, the Son of God, came from heaven to earth. He was born in a, in a stable, in a manger. 
He made himself nothing. To the end, he was crucified on a cross. He gave up his life. He became the least. He's our inspiration. He's the one that we follow. He's the one who we love because he first loved us. He made himself nothing. He surrendered his privileges. He emptied himself. And therefore, he had a dependency on God. How's your dependency on God? How's your dependency this week on God? I know some days I struggle. But then other days, I know he's there. He doesn't change. Because my feelings go up and down and round and here, there and everywhere. But God doesn't change. And we have to go on that journey of learning and listening and fixing our eyes on him and on the truth of who he is, not who we are. And when we empty ourselves of self, we then get something from heaven. We get a dependency on God. We get the Holy Spirit in our lives that can strengthen us, equip us and heal us and take us from weakness to God's strength. So dependency is the number one importance for a servant. Don't think you've got to have it all together. Come as you are in all your faults and failures and all of that mess. Just bring it in and allow him to take you on the journey. So the first one, without this one, we won't go any further. We'll do it in our own strength. We'll look for the rewards through serving, making us feel better and approval. All of that will happen if this dependency isn't right. If the heart's not free in the truth of what God has done for you. It's called God's grace. Okay, so the first one, dependence. The second one then, I touched on it then, approval. How many of us seek approval in this world? (laughs) You know, and that's okay. God wants us to understand who we are and how much he loves us. It says in Isaiah 42, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. God delights in Jesus Christ. So when you receive Jesus Christ and what he did for you, God doesn't see your faults and failures. He sees you through Jesus and he says, I am well pleased with you. He looks at you and delights in you daily. It's like, look how I made this one. I know they got messed up, but I'm not looking at that. I'm looking for their future now and what they're going to become in me. And I want to breathe into them. I want to put a fresh breath into them. I want to give them the truth of who they are. That their love that I paid for them with my blood, my precious son was given to them. That's how much I delight in them. And God says, I delight in you. So as a servant, we need to know, we're not serving to get the delight. God already delights in us. Because our dependency is in him, not in what we do. If we miss the first dependency, we have problems on the journey. So God delights in Jesus as a servant. God was happy for him to become the least and to serve. And it says that Jesus delights in the Father. And Jesus needed the approval of the Father. So when he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, he said, This is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Well pleased. Where is he, Josh? Well pleased. But there's lots of little doubts and things that we have to wrestle through and battle with because we live in a fallen world. But God says, I am well pleased with my son, Jesus. And if you receive Jesus and become born again, you become a daughter or a son of a king. Therefore, he is now well pleased with you because the Holy Spirit comes and cleanses you and washes you. And we do it by faith. But God says, I am well pleased with you. So renew your thinking and let him wash you. Somebody said to me the other week about somebody you know, becoming a believer. that some, My parents said I'm becoming brainwashed. Good. Wash your brain even more because it needs washing. Amen? 
but wash it with good stuff. Wash it with the truth, the spirit of God in your life, cleansing you and washing you, restoring you, knowing you're forgiven. Yes, you've made mistakes, but God has a future for you in him. So God approval, God approves of you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It says in Isaiah, I'll say it again, my chosen one in whom I delight. God has chosen you and called you by name and says, I delight in you. Now you have a responsibility out of that love to delight yourself in him and serve him in the kingdom. So dependence, approval. Jesus needed that approval and that's what he sought, the approval of the Father. You know, a question for you, where do you look for approval? Are you looking for approval? We all want to know that we're accepted and we're loved. We all want that. But where do you look for it? Are you looking for it in places and actually it's not happening? Because God says, I want you to come back to me. Dependence. Your approval needs to come back to me. Dependence. And you will look and look and look and look. And you will not find it because he hasn't moved. And he's in the same place. So come back to his word and dependence. Where are you looking for approval? Do you go to the Father for the approval? Third one then, modesty. Jesus, Isaiah 42 verse 2, speaking of Jesus, it said, My chosen one in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him. Sorry, next one. He will not cry, he will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. This doesn't mean that we can't come into church and praise God and make a noise, you know. We can come and make a noise about Jesus, okay? But his ministry, when he came, he wasn't shouting or crying or making noises. He was modest. It says, no, I'll read that in a minute, okay? So he was, he came, not to make a big noise, but he came, he was the least. He came to serve and do what the Father asked him to do. I'm sure there's times where people offered him things, position and power. But you know what? He wasn't here for that. He was here because of the Father. And I heard a quote recently, and I love this quote. When I was growing up as a kid, I loved the SAS. Anybody like the SAS? No? One, two, any boys? SAS. I love the SAS. I thought they were the coolest, like, you know, part of the army. They were secret, man. No one knew who they were. Even on the tally, they just they had, they had the you know the balaclava on. And as a kid, I had a balaclava, and I'd run around with a balaclava in because I thought I was in the SAS. Nobody knew who I was. Tell me, brother, poke me in the eye. I know who you are, right? But the SAS were the cool secret service. They went in, they did the job. No one got them, and they got back out again. And you know, in the secret service is what we're all called to do. We're all called to do a secret service. You see, the service that we're called to is secret. We're not here for our own approval, our own rewards. We're here for the one who we don't see, but we trust in. He's our rewarder. So when we serve, we don't serve to get back. We serve because he's the rewarder. And he will, whatever we sow, water and will produce fruit of. Making sense? So the secret service is the secret service. That's your, that's your call. You're here to serve, not to get a reward and to be seen, but you're here to do it modestly because it's your Father in heaven who rewards you. 
And if we keep looking for the reward, I, I, I see so many, you know, they come on a team and they do something and think, I'm not, I come off the team. Why? Because it didn't fix you. It didn't make me feel good. It didn't give me what I wanted. Service is not about what you want. Service is about the need that you meet. And very often our minds switch back to the approval and the forget the dependency. But we must switch our mind back to the dependency and the approval that comes from God, not from the service that I'm giving and I get back. Because if that was the case, Jesus being put on a cross would have some questions with the service that he'd given to the people. And he's the one we follow. So when you get mystery and or you get, you know, don't get what you want, that's okay. It's just challenging your emotional maturity to grow up a bit. So actually, it's not what I get. It's actually what I've given that matters. And my father knows what I give in this world. And he knows when people mistreat me. He will, he will sort it out. Joseph, great example. How mistreated was he? But God sorted it out. And he gave service in the prison. He diligently served. He was faithful. And then God moved him from the least to nearly the greatest in, the, in, in Egypt. You see, God is our rewarder. But if our dependency is on us or our dependency is on people, we'll look for it constantly and never find it. But if we look to the word of God and what he says about us, we will find it. The Bible says if we seek and we ask and we knock on the door, we'll find it. God says, are you seeking? Are you asking? And are you knocking? And I will give it. How many of us, we just get distracted, don't we, in the world? Boom. It's like watching the tally. Oh, I want that now. It's like, no, I wasn't even planning on buying that. And I bought it. How did that happen? Because we're human beings. Jesus was modest. The secret service. That was a quote from somebody else I had. It's not mine. The secret service is the secret service. And the next one. Is this okay this morning? This is the qualities we want. If Jesus is going to be amongst us, this is what we need to function and walk in. It's not actually about us. It's about Jesus and it's about the people being served. Okay, next one then. Empathy. I look at some of these and think, I'm rubbish at this. Empathy. Isaiah 42, verse 3. It says, a bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In his faithfulness... He will bring forth justice. So Jesus empathized with people. He found the brokenhearted. He found those who were enslaved. Those who were enslaved with sin. And he went and he set them free. He forgave them. Jesus empathizes. He understands how people feel. He went through it all. He knows what it is to be forced. He knows what it is to be, you know... Uh, to go through pain and suffering. He knows all the sin of the world. He knows it. He's the, he's, he knows it more than anybody. So we can go to him and ask him. But you know, what that should then do is, as we grow in that grace, it then flows to other people as well. And when we go through things in life and we think, get me out of here, God, I don't want to go through. God says, I know you don't, but when you come through, you're going to have empathy for more people. You're going to understand what it is when you've, you know, been in a relationship and it hurt. You know. You know what it is when you've been forced to do things you didn't want to do. And when you come out, you'll be able to see others and have empathy for them. And you'll be able to show grace and kindness towards them and help them. You'll have a heart for the lost. You'll have a heart for the broken. Because you've been through it and you know how it feels. Now you'll empathize. 
And many of us go, I don't want to go through things in life because they hurt. Well, things do hurt and things will always hurt. But we have a healer in heaven who one day is going to sort it all out. But in the meantime, we've got to push on through. We've got to strengthen ourselves in God, not in ourselves, and allow God to strengthen us and take us through so that we can empathize with people. You know, last, the last two years, I tell you, since, since we took on this church around my family, you know, I've, we've had Sarah's mum have cancer and nearly died, right close to dying. My brother lost a child, 38 weeks still born, you know, and, and it's, it's hard work. And you think, why does this have to happen? My mum had a hip operation and she's bobbling around now because it's damaging all the nerves in her leg. And it's like everybody around us in the family all of a sudden just started becoming weak, the support that we had. And, and it was like we became the parents having to look after people and, and, and sympathize with people. We know this is what it's done to me. It's made me empathize with people who go through cancer. It's made me empathize with people who lose babies. It's, it gives me a heart that I didn't have before. Is it a nice thing to happen? No, but God uses it all for good. And that's where my hope lies. That's where my dependency lies. God, I don't get it. I don't understand it. I wish you wouldn't let these things happen, but I have nothing else but you. So I'm going to rely on you, God. And you promise to use it all for good. You promise one day to wipe out my enemy. But in the meantime, I'm going to keep going through the battle. I'm going to put on my armor, put on my, pick up my shield of faith. I'm going to put on the breastplate of righteousness that says that I'm made right with God. I'm going to clear my mind of all the doubt and say I'm saved. Put on the helmet of salvation. I'm going to pick up my sword again of the promises of God and say, God, you promised this, so I'm going to get back up again. I'm going to shake off this dust. I'm going to carry on this journey because there's people that need it. There's people that need it. And there's people, you're going through things. They need it. They need you to break through. They need you to push through your emotional baggage so you can come through the other side and help people and serve people. That's why we're here. But we get so lost in the darkness and confused because our emotions are going around. God's saying, come to me. Come to me. Depend on me. (sighs) Empathy. So much pain in the world. So much pain. That's why Jesus came. He came because of the pain and the suffering and the sin in this world. And so often we come to church and we think, oh, we've got to be all right in church. We haven't. We're a broken mess. Just take your facades down and come as you are. But allow Jesus to heal you. The next one. Empathy, optimism. 42, Isaiah 42 verse 4 says, He will not falter or be discouraged. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his law, the islands will put their hope. Jesus went through what he went through, but he had optimism. Because his dependency, his approval was on God. You know, so if our dependency is on God, when we go through things, we can still be optimistic because we have a hope. It's called the light of the world. It's called light in the darkness. That's what we hold on to. So if you're a negative, pessimistic person, you need to read your scripture and understand that you need to be an optimistic person because you now have hope. And you say, well, that's how I am. Well, you can be transformed by your thinking. 
You can be renewed with optimism. Even, and I'm not saying we, we hype it up and we don't be realistic because we're going through things. We're empathizing with people, but we should have an optimism through it. Jesus says that he did not falter, always discouraged. He was not faltered or discouraged because God was in him. The dependency was on God. And God says, I'm in you, church. I'm in you tomorrow. I'm in you next week and I never change. So you have the strength and the power to get through. Yes, it hurts. Yes, it's painful. But guess what? If you're dependent on me, you're going to be an overcomer. And that's the church. That's the church we should be overcoming. Yes, we go through things. Yes, you know, we're like sheep to the slaughter. But guess what? We'll come through the other side. Are we still with me? Optimism. Hope and optimism are essential qualities for the servant of God who battles with powers of darkness over souls of men and women. Anybody feel like they're in a battle? Well, we are. Because there's darkness in this world, yet there's light in this world. And we have the light that overcomes the darkness. Do we not? Do we believe it? So we have a hope. Therefore, we must be optimistic because we have a hope in this world. <sighs> Can't remember whose quote that is. I do apologize for all these people whose quotes I'm nicking, but it isn't mine. So, I think they're good qualities. Can you imagine us as a church having a dependency on God, approval in God, modesty, empathy, and optimism? I'd want to be in that place. I want to be in that place. Or imagine having the opposite where we're just independent, doing what we want. I'll just do me. Or we're boastful and proud. We don't care about how people feel. We just make decisions based on me. And we're neg negative and pessimistic all the time. Can you imagine living with that? I live with, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> that was a joke. I'm just kidding. That was a joke. It was a joke. She's frowned at me and we don't. But you know, she's more optimistic than I am actually. But you know, imagine the opposite of those qualities. Peter, who loved Jesus, who said, I will never deny you. Jesus, I want to serve you. I will never deny you. In his own strength, Jesus says, no, you won't. You'll deny me three times. Nah, I'm not me. I'm going for it. I'll be there every week in church. My dependency is on God. I'll never let you down. I'm going for it, baby. No, 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 Peter, you'll deny me three times. And then after Peter denies Jesus, this self-confident, independent self-confident whose approval was in himself, who was boastful, didn't empathize with people, cut people's ears off just for the fun of it. Jesus goes to him. And he's like a smoldering wick that's just going down. There's very little life in him. He's depressed, disillusioned, discouraged. Give up on this thing called the kingdom of God. Give up on this thing that called the church. Well, the church isn't established yet. But it's going to be established on him. A depressed, disillusioned, disappointed person. God goes to him with hope. And he goes to him and he heals a smoldering wick. And he goes, and he breathes new life into him, gives him the Holy Spirit. The guy is back again. This humility and brokenness where he was, he begins to seek approval from his God. He begins to be modest. He preaches on love and acceptance. Peter, 
He's changed and transformed by the love of Jesus Christ. And that's the same for each one of us. Peter became one of the greatest servants in the New Testament. It says the church was built on him, the revelation that Jesus gave to Peter. Brokenness. You know, most of us, we end with the Ds, don't we? The disappointment, disillusionment, discouragement. But you know, God then comes with the A's. Who likes getting A's at school? A stars? He comes with the acceptance. He comes with the approval. He comes with the adoration. He comes with all the A's. And that's what he did with Peter. Let me give you some A's. I know you failed the test, but I'm going to give you some A's. Yeah, but I did fail the test. I know you failed the test, but I'm going to restore you anyway. So I'm going to give you A's, approval, acceptance, all from Jesus Christ. You know, and those are five qualities. Tim, do you want to come up? Five qualities, I believe, if you put into your life, we as a church grow in. You know, you'll serve like you've never served before. They're great qualities that Jesus, and I, I want to be a follower of Jesus. But you know, they're all great qualities, but without this last one that I'm going to add on. This is the secret six that I didn't tell you about, but I'm telling you about now. Without this one, you will not work it out. It won't work. And it's called the anointing. It's called the anointing, the Holy Spirit. It says in verse 1, Here is my servant in whom I am uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I, God, will put my spirit on him. Without the Holy Spirit, Jesus couldn't achieve. He couldn't do because he wouldn't know where to follow and where to go. He followed the Spirit. He was obedient through the wilderness. He listened to people, you know, but then he listened to the Holy Spirit and did what the Holy Spirit was telling him to do. We have to be followers of the Holy Spirit. We have to receive the Holy Spirit in our lives, the anointing with God that helps us to be restored, to know that we're forgiven and we're washed and cleansed. It's the Holy Spirit that we need daily in our lives. Without the Holy Spirit, everything else will just be like dry dust. You can try and be humble and dependent. You can try and say you've got approval in God. You can try and be modest. You can try, and all these things are good quality. But when the Holy Spirit does it in our lives, it brings new life. And when Peter, who was broken, lost disillusioned, when the Holy Spirit came upon him, he got up and he preached and thousands of people got saved. It doesn't matter what kind of person you are. You cannot do that with the Holy Spirit. How's the Holy Spirit in your life? I believe we're going to go into a season of the Holy Spirit. Knowing the Holy Spirit daily. Learning from the Holy Spirit. Reading the Word and the Holy Spirit bringing it alive in our lives. You know, you can read this Word and seek approval, but if the Holy Spirit doesn't enlighten it, it doesn't ignite it in you, you'll just be like a smoldering wick thinking this is hard work in church life but when the Holy Spirit comes and breathes into you a newness your body will come alive and the smoldering wick becomes a mighty fire like Peter was and that's what the Holy Spirit's looking for any smoldering wicks I'm a smoldering wick (laughs) I'm a smoldering wick tomorrow but I know with Jesus he makes me into a mighty fire without the Holy Spirit we can't do anything we're just like dry dust come on let's stand we're going to worship God You know, God's looking for a people who will serve him. And we've got people here who want to serve God. And as an illustration, 
I'm going to finish with this illustration, then we're going to worship God. And this is what he's looking for if you'll be one of these people. Has anybody ever seen the spaceship take off? I'm sure we've all seen it. Okay, Discovery, Endeavour, whatever ship we've seen the space shuttle take off. And when it takes off, the one thing that gets it into the air are the rocket boosters. Everybody's looking at the spaceship, right? And then all of a sudden, the rocket boosters come off the side. I remember the first time seeing it, I thought, oh, it's falling apart. Nobody told me on the news that the rocket boosters kind of go off. I actually thought it was falling apart. But here's the deal. This is what I believe God looks for. He wants some rocket boosters who will propel the church on, who will propel the next generation on so that they can take the next part on after us. But we're not going to be the ones who are first in the kingdom. We're not going to be the rocket, the, the, the spaceship. We're going to be the rocket boosters who God wants to fill. And then at the right time, we'll just go off. And then the next ones carry on. But if you want to be all about the rocket ship and it's about me getting to where I want to get to, then you're going to fall short in the kingdom because we have to become the least. And God says, are there any rocket boosters out there that I can fill? who are prepared to put themselves in this cause, who are prepared to put themselves into the church so we can serve this next generation. We can love one another and we can serve the community so the church carries on beyond you into the next generation. Are there any people in there who want to be rocket boosters? It's about the heart. You don't have to. I can't force you to. But do you want to? Do you want to see the church everything that God wants you to be and are you prepared to pay the cost and the sacrifice in order the church can carry on Peter paid the price and we see the church today across all of Europe and around the world because Peter was prepared to sacrifice and become the least Father we just pray this morning that there's rocket boosters in here that are willing and wanting to see your kingdom come I pray Father the season that they're in God, you would fill them afresh. God, their mindsets would be optimistic. They would not be pessimistic about them, what's happened in the past, but they would focus on you and on the future, that you would restore, you would breathe fresh life into the body, and that, God, we would see people go beyond what they've normally gone beyond and break through and see the church move on in the name of Jesus. God, I thank you for them. And if there's people that don't know you here this morning, God, I pray for them that they would know your love for the first time. They would know that they're loved, that you accept them. And if they're here and they want to know you, God, I pray, you know, you can pray with me this morning to know Jesus in your heart, to know the forgiveness of God. Father, we just pray. Join me in prayer. If you want to pray this prayer for the first time, Heavenly Father, thank you that you love me. Thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ. Thank you for the forgiveness. I receive your forgiveness. Forgive me of my past. Give me a new start. Amen.